So to start, I'm going to read through the passages that we're going to be looking at today. So reading from Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. In Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, when you think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. And then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus, through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So as we were looking ahead to this Ephesians series, there were so many topics that I was super excited about. I like got the titles and I started like kind of like mentally planning my sermons of like what I would do for each one. And I was really hoping that Pastor Marla would ask me to speak. And so when I got the email and he was like, are you willing to preach? I was like, oh yes, thank you. And I was like, what's my topic? And he said, a pastor's prayer. And I was like, that was literally the only one I was like, oh, I really don't want that one. <laughs> no, honestly. And it's not because I don't think that this is like good truth or things that we should know, but I've been a pastor for like 34 seconds, so I'm like, what do I know about any of this? So I was like, well, uh, my pastor's prayer so far has been, oh God, please help, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm not sure how I'm going to preach on that. Uh, and then I was really like, okay, Pastor Joel or Pastor Marla will preach, and I'll just take from it. But here we are. So uh, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to have to figure out where the Apostle Paul was, but I think that Marla or Joel would have known a little bit more. But I actually hoped that they had never been where Paul was. So at the time when Paul wrote Ephesians, he was in prison. Now, if you were around for the previous youth pastor, Jeff, he would have done well in prison. He was huge, he was tall, he scared me, he would have done great. I think the other pastors on staff, though, are just a little bit too gentle and kind to do as well. So I'm glad that none of our pastors are in prison today. So... Uh, Paul actually had written 13 books of the Bible, more than any other writer, and he did more to spread Christianity in the first century than any other person. Just to help build some credibility on the letters that Paul wrote, he also started the church at Ephesus, and he'd been away from it for a number of years, and it was now filled with people who he didn't know. In fact, he tells us this in the opening paragraph, that he had heard about their faith, but he'd never yet met them. Nevertheless, he was praying for their 
for them and was hoping that they would have some spiritual growth. So ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. So as Pastor Marlowe had said, Eglon's been my home church for the past 13 years or However long it's been around, I should know that. I think around that time. But I remember being a little kid and coming to this property when the pastors who were involved with planting this church did like the shovels in the ground thing. And I remember being young and being like, why am I here? Like I just, they just, they didn't even like, they weren't building the church. They just like, it was on the corner of the property. And I remember being like, this is so weird because I was like 12 and didn't get it. But now I'm quite amazed at the journey that this church has taken. So my parents, would, before, were attending a church in Leduc with my brother and I in tow, but they were always hoping for something in Beaumont to help with the commute and the community. I don't remember much about the start of this church, but I remember it being the first church that my family attended that I felt like we were connected. There were people my age, uh, they were kids that went to my school, and we weren't the outsiders that were from out of town. Here we were just part of the church. This was the first church that I felt like I wasn't just a kid, but that I had my own place. So looking here at this prayer from Paul, I know that this was a very similar prayer that was prayed over this church from the very beginning, from those who were part of the church planting process. The churches that gave pastors and leadership to Egmont would have felt this way about us. I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. That's what they did for us. And I'm always amazed when I think about how much prayer and love has been poured into this church long before these doors even opened. And as a pastoral staff, we really do pray for you all constantly. We feel blessed to have you all here and part of our church family and part of yours as well. And lifting this church in prayer is ingrained in our hearts because it's important to us. And it's not just our pastoral staff. There are so many people in this church body that cover each and every person constantly in prayer. And if you're sitting here and it's your first Sunday, uh, not to sound weird, but there are people who have been praying for you long before you came here and long before we've ever had the chance to know your name. So this passage is very appropriate for a Sunday like this. So when I look around and I find a lot of people that I haven't seen or met yet, I want you to know that we've been praying for you and that we have lifted you up long before you even walked through these doors today. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. So when we started the Egomont, my brother was old enough to go to youth, and I was not, and I did not like that. But he attended the first youth event that had eight students. To kind of put this into context, we now sit at about 90 students at our youth group now. But he came to youth, and there were eight church families that sent their reluctant teenager to go sleep at a super eight, I think, of all places. But he found a sense of belonging with those students, and for a kid who was a difficult kid, this church was a huge blessing for him. So I finally went somewhere that I had friends that 
who were friends I made at church also were my friends at school. So I attended youth group here from grade 7 to grade 12. So that's six years of every Friday night being here in this very gym. So then after I graduated high school, I became a youth leader and went to Bible college, which meant four more years of doing practicums and internships and every single Friday night at this church. Since then, I've been working here for the last two years in a part-time role and now this year full-time, which means I'm at my 12th year of every Friday night here in this gym. It's awesome, but it's been a long time and I love this church. As Paul prays that the people of Ephesus come to think of themselves not as people who had once been involved in idol worship, poor decisions, and foolish philosophies, he wanted people to see them as people in Christ, people with a radically new identity, like in Ephesians 2, 12 to 13, which we'll go over more in weeks to come. Um, but this is the same thing that the pastoral staff prays over this church. As the next-gen pastor, this is what I pray over our students. I want them to know who they are in God and not who the world tells them that they are. Because God tells us who we are at our best, and the world tells us who we are at our failures. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light, so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are rich in glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but in the world to come. So I want our students to know this. I want this ingrained in their hearts so that at times in trouble and when they just feel like everything's falling apart, they have a place to go. And they can know that the God who raised Christ from the dead healed the lame, parted the Red Sea, and did so much more, is the same God who looks at them and says, you are loved, you are valued, and you are so important to me that I died for you, and I would do it again. And I know that this is the same prayer that many of you have for the people in your life. You want them to know that they are loved, and that they are valued, and that they are important. You pray that your kids know this, you pray that your family members know it, and if this is your first time here, or you're still exploring what this faith thing is, we want you to know that too. The same power that can raise a man from the dead and that holds all authority over everything in this world is waiting to give you a confident hope and a glorious inheritance. As Pastor Marlowe said last week, you are chosen, adopted, and forgiven in him. The vernacular used here, it can't be misunderstood. In fact, Paul says that Christ is seated at the right hand, which is actually a reference to Psalm 110, which is earlier in the Bible, where it says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies the footstool of your feet. This text is quoted repeatedly in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, 1 Corinthians, and in Hebrews. But Paul doesn't speak flippantly, and his wording isn't flippant either. This isn't a God of fleeting pleasure or rocky foundation, but an authority over everything now and to come. He is a God that Paul speaks of as a God of confident hope, glorious inheritance, incredible greatness, and mighty power. That's some strong wording. Paul is praying this over the church in Ephesus, that they will know this truth that he has given his life to proclaim, even at the cost of imprisonment. And that's what this church proclaims as well, at whatever the cost may be for us. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Thinking back now to being an extremely awkward teenager, pixie cut embraces, thanks mom, like you should have stopped that one, but who sat in these very seats, 
I'm extremely blessed that now the youth group I attended, I get to lead. But truly what I'm even more grateful for is that I am not the one who's in charge. I'm the physical representation of authority on a Friday night or a Wednesday night over the youth program, but it's not by my authority that I can do what I do. I can plan all the events I want, I can show the passion of the Christ as many times as I humanly can, but it's not gonna make any hearts move or make anyone believe that God is real unless he speaks to them himself. Just to clarify, I'm not actually showing 14-year-olds passion of the Christ. Don't email me, I didn't do it. But he's, God has been made head over all things for the benefit of the church. So this is referencing Psalm 8 where it says, what is man that you remember him or the son of man that you visit him? Which is saying that man is important because man was given lordship over the animal world by God. But here in Ephesians, Paul is saying that Christ has lordship not over just the animal world, but the total world, including spiritual. All things have been placed under the feet of Jesus. He makes things move, and he chooses what our moves are. He is the authority of this church. Over pastor's council, over Pastor Marlowe, God is the authority here, and we are following his leading alone. Which I really love, because looking at what we know and what he knows, there's no concept, or like no contest in who should be making those decisions. In fact, if it was my decision on what to do, this church would be in shambles. So now hear me out. I'm going to tell a story, but I'm going to precursor it. So first of all, I love the youth that come here Wednesday and Friday nights. I really do. I love them. The youth that come here are incredible, and I think that God is going to do amazing things with them. And my Friday night kids have so much joy that I'm absolutely blessed to work with them. But if everything was up to me and it was my authority, I would have canceled youth about 20 times so far this year alone. So here's the story. It was about three weeks ago. Yeah, because we're in February. So yeah, about three weeks ago. And I was in the lobby and I was hanging out with some kids and I came in to start cleaning up the chairs at the end of the night. And so as I start like stacking chairs, I see that there's these pop cans that are kicked over and spilt. I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm going to grab the mop, mop it up, I'm going to pick up the things. But as I go to pick up the can, I look and see the metal covers on the floors that the volleyball nets go into, they were all gone. And I was like, oh, Lord, please help, because what am I going to do? So, like, I don't know. I was like, you know what? Maybe they just got, like, knocked out. Maybe somebody just kicked them and they moved. So I start searching the floor for them, and they're just straight up gone. So then I, like, hit the rage mode where I'm like, someone stole the floor. I'm like, who comes to youth on a Friday night and is like, oh, I like this piece of floor, I'm gonna take that one, and then took all of them. I'm like, I have a concession that's full of like candy and pop that they could steal. We got a TV there, we got like a media desk. There are so many things that you could have stolen, but you chose the floor. So then as like the rage kind of came down, the panic started coming, where I was like, what is Pastor Marlowe going to say? I don't have the money to replace the whole floor. We don't even have the time to replace the floor. I don't know if I can like Facebook market like pieces of metal that sit on, like who's selling those? Because who's stealing them? So why do people have them? And I was like, I, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to cancel youth, and I'm going to lose my job, and I'm just going to be homeless, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And so as I stood there, and I looked, like, I was like, I, I don't know what to do. So I grabbed the mic. I don't even remember what I said, but it was probably, like, hysterical nonsense along the lines of, like, if you don't bring them back, I'll cry. But, like, about, like, less than a minute later, I had this kid come up to me. He's like, are these the things you're looking for? And I, like, stared him in the eye, and I was like, oh, no. 
Like, Lord, be with me. And then in the Old Testament, there's the story of Abraham, who is this like really great guy, and God tells him to sacrifice his son Isaac. And God stops him before he does. But as I looked this kid in the eye, I was like, oh, I get it, Lord. Like, you were like, sacrifice this teenager. And I'm like, if you told me to, I'll follow your leading. Like, ooh. But uh, unfortunately, as God stopped Abraham, God stopped me, and I did not sacrifice the youth. But I thought about it. Ooh. But anyways, they're all back. I did not lose them. They've returned. So as my human nature would say, cancel youth, quit. This is a fight that I'm not winning. I just, like, what am I even doing? But Paul reminds me, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. As much as those Fridays make me question the state of our world, there's also so much good that happens. Students find a place of belonging, and they find people who are loving them with something different than what they see otherwise, and that's God's love. God fills this gym with his presence every Friday night, and kids notice. These kids aren't coming back because they think that it's fun to hang out in a gym. They're coming back because there's something different about the environment here. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So that's what this church aims to do. We want each person that comes to this place to experience and know the incredible love that God has for us and to put our roots down in something so steadfast that we can't be shaken. So each church has a mission statement. It's basically a simplified short sentence or quote or something like that that explains who we are and what we aim to accomplish through the programming and things that we run here. So here at Eaglemont Church, our mission statement is know God, love people, and serve the world. It's hanging on the wall outside these gym doors if you forget it. So when we look at it constantly as a team, we make sure that everything we do lines up with that. So it seems so simple. It's three phrases, it's seven words in total, and that's it. But it holds so much weight. We want to first and foremost have people know God on a personal level. We want people to have a biblical understanding of who he is, but we also want people to personally explore through self-study, prayer, worship, and true relationship who God is. We believe that if we know God and we know his heart and desire for his people, the rest follows naturally. If we know who God is and we root ourselves in his truth, then we can't help but love others. Not even that we just can't help it, but God also expects it of us. In John 15, 12, he says, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. It's pretty hard to get that one wrong. Church, if we were expected, if we are expected to love in the same way that Christ loves us, then we have some big shoes to fill. And that's not something that we should see as a negative, but it's a really beautiful thing that we get to try to fill those shoes. This love is given to us in such excess that we can overflow it to others. Our knowledge of God and who he is to us personally will lead us to love others. 
May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Know God, love people, and serve the world. As we know God more and we love the people around us, our hearts should start stirring to serve the world. We should have a deep desire to help people know that there is an unconditional love and forgiveness that is available to them at all times, and that there is a real God who wants an authentic and true relationship with them. Paul tells the church of Ephesus that the more we know and understand God and his love, the more will we become complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from him. So a pastor's prayer is far more than just praying that the people who attend this church can be good Christian people on paper and can help us get more people in these seats. Our prayer is that God is able to lead us in every aspect of our lives, and it's a prayer of gratefulness, that God has allowed us to come together as a church family to build one another up and to learn together. But this shouldn't just be a pastor's prayer for their church. This should be your prayer for the people in your life. You should want them to know and grow in the hope and power that you have in God. And you should want them to no longer be the authority in their lives, but to give authority to someone who knows the full plan. If you don't have the desire to have people know how wide, how long, how high, and how deep the love of Christ is, then you need to take time and look at all that God has done in your life and imagine where you'd be without him. Because that'll bring that feeling of gratefulness. So a pastor's prayer is this. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you, Egamont. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you all spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he's given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you, you, will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler, authority, power, leader, or anything else, not only in this world, but in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by him alone, who fills all things everywhere with himself. But when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray, the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. So we're closing a little bit early today, and that's because at the end of this, I want us to just kind of bask in that gratefulness for this church body. And I want us to take time that this isn't your chance to leave early and get home faster, but it's a chance that you can take to be grateful for the people that have been placed here. 
So as there's coffee at the back, I want you to take that time to truly connect with people and express your thankfulness to one another. And as there's lots of new faces here, for those that call Eagle Church their home church, if you do not meet someone new, we're going to put your name in a bowl and we're just going to pull three out and then you're like ostracized. So don't risk it. But as we close, I want to pray over this church and thank God for the incredible things he's done through here. But also thank him for the family and belonging that is available through his people that he's brought here that I've personally felt myself. If you want to know the fullness of Christ in your own life and you haven't yet, this is your chance. You can express that to him now. You are chosen, forgiven, and adopted, and you are loved and valued. There isn't a specific prayer that's required or careful wording. Express to him that you want to know the love and forgiveness he has for you and your trust in his authority. So I'm just going to end with prayer together. If you can all bow your heads. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you, thank you that you've called each and every person here specifically. And that it is not by chance that we've ended up here. It's not by just some fluke thing, but you've chosen us to be here today. And God, I thank you that you are the authority and that it's not by our own understanding that we have to make it through this life, but it's by yours. And God, I thank you that you are forever leading us and that even when we go astray and even when we don't feel like we can feel you working, you are, Lord Jesus. And God, I just thank you for each and every person that is here and the work that you are doing. You are so holy, God. Now all glory to you, God, who is able through your mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to you, God, in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen.